0: welcome to the primal potential podcast i am your host elizabeth benton thompson if you want to create change in any area of your life you're in the right place Together, we'll explore the strategies and tools I've used to lose over 100 pounds, pay off $130,000 in debt, and become a multiple seven-figure business owner. I've supported more than 3,000 women to levels of execution and fulfillment they didn't know were possible. Together, we'll break your past patterns and eliminate the appeal of your excuses so you can get consistent, stay consistent, create the results you want, and enjoy the journey. Let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Primal Potential Podcast. I am Elizabeth Benton. Thanks so much for joining me today. This, as I record it, has got to be one of my top five favorite episodes because it is one of my favorite things to talk about. If you like the science, metabolism, biochemistry, you are going to love this, but it's also going to be really heavy on the what do we do about it implementation side of things. We're going to be talking about why blood sugar matters so much, and I'm not talking about diabetes. I'm talking about for all of us, whether you have diabetes or not. But especially, I'm talking to people who do not have diabetes. Uh, this is this is a huge thing when it comes to how we feel, brain fog, energy, mental clarity, depression, anxiety our ability to sleep well, um, skin health, fertility, polycystic ovarian syndrome, thyroid health, weight management, whether or not you're carrying extra weight, but also diseases, your risk of cognitive degeneration, your risk of stroke, your risk of cardiovascular disease, and A lot of people are just ignoring it because, well, I'm not diabetic, so I don't have anything to worry about. And that is simply not true. A couple of resources that I really love on the topic of blood sugar and how normal is not the same thing as healthy. And many of us have confused normal with common. Like, oh, my blood sugar levels always come back as normal. Normal does not mean healthy. Normal does not mean that you will not develop disease down the road because of your blood sugar levels. But a couple of my favorite resources on this topic, one is Chris Kresser, K-R-E-S-S-E-R. And the other one is on Instagram. She goes by at Glucose Goddess. I really like both of them. One of the things that Chris Kresser uh, kind of aggregated from research is that if you regularly have blood sugar above 140 milligrams per deciliter, and we're going to talk about testing and if I think you need to test and what you can do instead, but if you regularly have blood sugars above 140 milligrams per deciliter, that causes irreversible beta cell loss. And your beta cells produce insulin, so that's a big factor for weight. But it also causes irreversible nerve damage that you might not manifest or recognize until down the road. Cancer rates increase. Stroke rate increases dramatically. About 25% for every 18 milligram per deciliter rise in your blood sugar after your meal. 25% for every 18 milligrams per deciliter. And if we talk about looking at the research on what our blood sugar is one hour after we eat, When those readings are above 155, that is a very, very strong correlate with your risk of cardiovascular disease. So this is about so much more than weight, so much more than energy, so much more than skin health and hormones and fertility. This is about your long-term disease risk. And blood sugar control is a big factor there. 88% of Americans have dysregulated glucose levels. And I'm not talking about having diabetes. The majority of people in this 88% have no idea. They have no idea that their blood sugar isn't normal. And we're going to talk about a handful of things that you can do every day when you eat to help control your blood sugar. It's not like I'm just saying never eat a cupcake again because that's not, that's not how I want to live. There are things that you can do regardless of what you are eating with the goal being something called decreasing glycemic variability. The goal is to keep blood sugar as steady as possible. Ideally, we don't want to see fluctuations greater than 30 milligrams per deciliter. Okay? A lot of times there was a study done on cornflakes, and it looked at when people wake up in the morning, what is their fasting blood sugar? Then let's say they have a bowl of cornflakes with skim milk and a glass of orange juice. And the researchers were shocked at how blood sugar skyrocketed far beyond that 30 milligram per deciliter variation, like more like 70, 80, 90, 100 milligram per deciliter excursion after that meal that... I know in my house growing up would have been considered a, quote, healthy breakfast primarily because it was low fat. But guys, I want you to understand that we're talking about this because this is at the core of many people's weight challenges. This is at the core of accelerated aging internally and externally. So skin wrinkles as well as the aging of our organs and the aging of our blood vessels and our arteries and all those things. This is at the core of heart disease, of course, at diabetes, cancer, moodiness, fatigue, infertility, PCOS, so much. How many cravings you have is tied directly to your glycemic variability. How much your blood sugar is fluctuating. Hunger, same thing. One of the big problems that I think accounts for why so many people don't know they have a problem is because of... What mainstream medical advice tells us is normal. But normal just refers to most people. And as we know, most people are overweight. Most people have metabolic disorders. So I don't know about you, but normal isn't what I want for my blood work. I want optimal, I want healthy. But if we look at, say, like fasting blood sugar, if you were to wake up in the morning, check your blood sugar, The medical establishments tell us that less than 99 milligrams per deciliter fasting is normal. Probably is normal, but that is so far from healthy. Ideal, healthy, thriving is actually between 72 and 85. If we go up above 85, we're looking at higher risk of disease, plus things like hunger cravings, weight management challenges, accelerated aging. So this goes the whole, the whole span here when we talk about looking at our blood sugar an hour or two hours after we eat. Mainstream medical establishment tells us that a number like less than 140 milligrams per deciliter two hours after you eat is normal. Probably is normal. Definitely is not healthy or ideal. For healthy, for ideal, we want to keep those excursions 30 milligrams per deciliter or lower in the hour to two hours after eating. So if we know that the fasting range that is thriving is 72 to 85, then we don't want to be going up from there more than 30 milligrams per deciliter, right? So if you're at 72, that means you don't want to go any higher than 102, for better health, what we want to do is reduce glycemic variability. There is a, I mentioned the glucose goddess on Instagram. She wrote a book, and her book is called, let's see, what's it called? The Glucose Revolution, the life changing power of balancing your blood sugar. She, you know, you guys know I've been talking about blood sugar and insulin and stuff since 2014 when the podcast started. It's a huge passion of mine. And That's where things like the golden rules of carbs and fat loss come from that I talk about super, super early on. I think I most recently outlined it in episode 195, if you want to go back to that. But I talk a lot about what happens internally when we give our bodies too much sugar. She, in her book, gives a really great visual of a guy who runs a a steam engine, like a locomotive that runs on, like a steam engine, so it's run on coal. And she says, imagine it's your grandfather and his job is to just keep putting the coal in the fire to keep the steam engine going. Well, when way more coal comes in than is needed, then, then your poor grandfather has to work really, really hard to shovel faster and to shovel more and to just put more and more and more burden on this steam engine and that is what is happening when we overconsume sugar. And I'm not talking here about like Twinkies and Twizzlers. I'm talking about everything from pasta to rice to oats to your cereal to the candy bar to the cookie to the sugar in the latte that you have. All of these things cuz remember starch breaks down to sugar. So whether we're talking about starch, or we're talking about sugar, the building blocks are all the same. They're glucose. What happens when we over-deliver glucose to the body is something called glycation. And glycation essentially means that the glucose sticks to another molecule and permanently damages it. It's called glycation. And you can't undo it. That molecule is damaged for life. And you just have all of this sticky glycation happening all throughout your body, which is why it is associated with things like skin wrinkles, accelerated aging, heart disease, cancer, weight gain, infertility, all of these things. The more sugar we deliver, the more glycation we have, that is damage. Now, one thing to note here, and I've talked about this a number of times on the podcast before, that not all sugar is created equal. There's different kinds of sugar, right? You've heard of glucose, but there's also fructose. Now when I say fructose, most people say fruit. But the most exposure we have to fructose is not from fruit, it's from processed foods. Because fructose is dramatically sweeter than sugar, so it's used in processed foods because they can use less and have a greater sweetening effect than if they were to use glucose. So we're talking about things like high fructose corn syrup and other forms of fructose that are in processed foods that are the real culprit. Fructose is 10 times faster at glycating than glucose. So fructose, when, if we talk about you're going to have a bowl full of rice or you're going to have um, a piece of pie, the piece of pie is going to do a whole lot more damage than the rice because of the fructose. I could replace pie with cookies or Twizzlers or anything along those lines because fructose glycates 10 times faster than glucose. Not only that, fructose cannot be stored in the muscle and the liver like glucose can. It can only be converted to and stored as fat. So it is more lipogenic, more likely to turn into fat and be stored as fat than glucose is. So it's important to remember that. But either way, what we're talking about here is the goal being reduced glycemic variability, minimize blood sugar spikes. And I'm going to tell you a bunch of things that you can do to do that. But first, I want to touch on what I know will come up as a question. Do I have to test my blood sugar? The answer is no. You can just start implementing these strategies if you haven't already, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while. Maybe you already have. But you can just start doing those things, and they'll work. They're backed by science. These aren't guesses. You do not have to test your blood sugar, all right? Some people just like to self-experiment, and I think that's fine. Continuous glucose monitors have gotten a lot of attention lately, and essentially that means there's this little device that sticks to the back of your arm. Usually there are other places it can go, but most commonly it's on like the back of your tricep or on your tricep, the back of your arm. And it has these little, um, they're like micro needles and they essentially test the glucose in your intercellular fluid. They're not testing your blood constantly, but they often attach to apps. So if you tap your phone to that little, a little receiver on your arm and you'll see your blood sugar. Those are amazing tools for diabetics. They're really great tools for athletes or for science geeks who want to be a human guinea pig. Most people don't go that route because they are a little bit more expensive. Um, They're certainly not permanent. You can pull the probe off at any time. I had one once when I was doing, I was part of a a study on uh, the link between blood sugar in the microbiome years ago. I don't think it's necessary for most people. I got a lot of questions about it back in July. I was doing blood sugar testing for gestational diabetes. Most of the time when you're pregnant, you go in on an empty stomach, you drink the drink, and then you test your blood sugar at lab at one hours and two hours. I didn't do that. I chose to test at home for a week because I To me, it's more valuable to know how my body is responding to like my normal way of eating than how does my body respond to something that I wouldn't normally drink. But in fairness, a lot of people do drink 70, 75 grams of sugar at one sitting, whether it's a soda or it's, you know, a sugary coffee drink or something like that. So I was posting on my Instagram that I was taking my fasting level and then every hour, after a meal, not every hour of the day, but an hour after every meal. And people are like, why don't you get a continuous glucose monitor? I'm like, because I'm testing for a week. And that just seems crazy. But that is an option. If you do just want to experiment for a couple of weeks, you can just do the finger prick ones. I got mine on Amazon years ago. And I've used it when I've been fasting before. I've used it just out of curiosity. Um, I read, a, I read a book, gosh, I did an episode on it, but I can't remember the name of the book off the top of my head. Oh, wish I could remember, but I think it was by Rob Wolf. Anyway, uh, the, the premise of the book was seeing how your body responds to different types of carbohydrates. So I tested a lot then, but you don't have to test. You can just do the things that we're about to talk about and that will make a difference whether you test or whether you don't. OK, but I do think it's important to know that, like, if you had your blood sugar tested as part of a general panel or your hemoglobin A1C and you're like, oh, no, everything was normal. Normal is not the same thing as healthy. Normal is not the same thing as optimal. It just means when we say normal, it means we're not going to actively classify it as disease. But that's very, very different from being healthy or, or being optimal. OK, Let's talk about the things that you can do. Some of these you've heard me talk about on the podcast before. Some of these are suggestions that I grabbed from either Glucose Goddess or Chris Kresser. Uh, Some of these are just things that I do that have worked very well for me and for clients in reducing glycemic variability. The first one, and you've heard me talk about this for years, it's part of the golden rules of carbs and fat loss. If you're going to have carbohydrates, don't have them without fat, protein, or fiber. So if you're going to have pasta, don't just have a bowl of pasta. Make sure that you're having a salad. Make sure that you're putting butter on that pasta or cheese or something like that, or you're having chicken in your pasta. Because all of those things, fat, protein, and fiber, slow down the rate of digestion And therefore, reduce the glycemic variability. So if I were to do an experiment where I had just a bowl of pasta, or I had a green salad and then pasta with chicken, or even pasta with butter, either one, and we looked at my blood sugar response with both, the blood sugar response would be much more dramatic with just the pasta. So do not have your carbs alone. The other night, I, we had pizza for dinner. It wasn't what was planned, but we had people over and they had a bunch of kids. And so they guess collectively decided to order pizza. So what I did was prior to having my slice of pizza, I think I had two slices of pizza. Before I had my first bite of pizza, I drank a protein shake because I knew that protein hitting my stomach first would slow down the absorption rate of the carbohydrate and I would not have as significant of a blood sugar spike. So when you have carbs, make sure that you are also including fiber or fat or protein or both. Now to take that another step, the order of operations in eating matters. So let's say you sit down and you've got your pasta and you've got your salad and your pasta has some chicken in it. Eat the salad first, then eat the chicken, then eat the pasta. Now, maybe you've gone out for pad thai and so it's all mixed together. You don't have to pull it apart, but start with a a veggie-based starter, whether that's a side salad or some steamed veggies, and eat that first, and then if you can also pick out a couple pieces of chicken from your pad thai, eat that chicken first, you're going to be in a better place than if you just wing it. So the order matters. And you want it the order to go like this. Vegetables, right? Your non-starchy vegetables. I'm not talking about your potato, but your your broccoli, your beans, your, I mean like green peas, not like pinto beans, um, Cucumber, tomato, mixed greens, that sort of stuff. Veggie first, then protein, then fat, then starch, then sugar. All right. So if you had pasta and then uh, a donut, the pasta, then the donut. But veggie, protein, fat, and then your starch and then your sugar. Okay. So the order matters. The order matters. Have dessert instead of sugary snacks. So what I mean by this is if you're going to have some M&Ms, it is better for your glycemic variability and therefore your overall health to have the M&Ms at the end of a meal instead of at two in the afternoon between lunch and dinner on an empty stomach, all right? Tack on that sweet thing that you want at the end of a meal instead of grabbing that cookie Two hours after dinner. That's an easy one, guys. If you're going to do the ice cream, have it right after dinner instead of two hours after dinner. It is going to have less glycemic variability that way, and that is what you want. This other one is kind of a more science-based one, and that is have your carbs cool instead of hot. So imagine you're making pasta or rice or a baked potato If you allow it to cool off and you eat it room temperature or even cool, that is going to digest more slowly than if it's hot because as it cools, the starch changes form a little bit. It actually develops kind of this resistant starch quality to it and that digests more slowly than if you were to eat it when it's hot, which works really well for me as a mom because I seem to never eat my food when it's warm. Okay, the next one is make sure that your breakfast is free from sugar. And when I say sugar, remember I talked about that cornflakes and orange juice example? That's basically pure sugar because there's very, very little to no fiber there, and the starch breaks down to glucose. Now, comparing that to something like oatmeal, I still wouldn't do oatmeal for breakfast if I had a goal of fat loss or really with a goal of like living a long time. But if you did, it's still better than cornflakes because there's a lot more fiber and that fiber slows down the digestion rate. But ideally we're talking about things like have scrambled eggs and bacon, have an omelet, have chia seed pudding, have a protein shake that isn't packed full of sugary stuff, you know, no juices, no dried fruits, stay away from the, the pancakes and the waffles and the donuts and the croissants and the English muffins and the bagels. Have your breakfast be more savory and not sweet. The next thing is, and this kind of ties into something we talked about earlier, is having a veggie appetizer or a salad before your meals. Now, I don't imagine many of you guys are going to be having a cup of steamed broccoli before breakfast, but this is an easy one for lunch or dinner. Have a small salad or even just a handful of of your favorite veggies before you dive in because that fiber, it does a lot of things, but the primary one that it does here is it slows down that gastric emptying and just do that. That's an easy one to do especially if you're going to have something that's carb heavier. But even if you're not, get in the habit to start your meal with some sort of veggie side. A salad, handful of veggies, something like that. The other thing that really matters here is portions. Obviously, if you have a pint of ice cream, you are going to increase your blood sugar dramatically more than if you have a cup of ice cream. So keep that in mind. Obviously, keep in mind things like having it at the end of a meal instead of between meals, but watch your portions on those things. You're going to see less glycemic variability when you have a half a cup of pasta than if you were to have two cups of pasta. I used to freak out like if, if my mom brought over dinner and she brought over spaghetti and meatballs and I was in a fat loss mode, I'd be like, oh my God, I can't have spaghetti. And now I'm like, of course I can. It's just that my meal is going to be heavier on the meatballs and the salad, and I'm going to treat the pasta more like a side instead of a huge plate of pasta with a couple of meatballs. You know, Mind your portions. Don't drink sugar. This is juice. This is the Sweetened coffee drinks, this is soda, all of that stuff. It hits your bloodstream more significantly when it's in liquid form because there's there's less required for digestion. So there's it's just a, a greater spike, higher glycemic variability. Don't drink your sugar. This next one I haven't done while pregnant because it's a little it's a little iffy when you're pregnant, but if you're not pregnant, Before your meal, you can mix a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar with a tall glass of water and drink that. That has been shown clinically over and over to reduce the glycemic impact of a meal. Your blood sugar will not rise as much. You can see all sorts of data on this. If you were to have a bowl of rice and then compare it the next day, to drinking a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar mixed in a tall glass of water and then the same bowl of rice, your blood sugar would not travel as high after the apple cider vinegar. Now, a lot of people are like, what about your teeth? Drink it with a straw. But in terms of your gut, it's going to be fine. Don't drink it straight. Don't just shoot the apple cider vinegar. Mix it in water. Drink it with a straw. But this this is an easy one. Even if you just do this before you have dessert, it's a good thing. And then the last one is move your body anytime after you eat. So instead of eating dinner and then going and laying on the couch, just 10 minutes. 10-minute walk outside, 10 minutes vacuuming, 10 minutes going up and down your stairs, putting things away. Just don't sit on your butt. You can do jumping jacks. You can do body weight squats. You can do something little. Like vacuuming, or you can do a mini workout, but just 10 minutes of movement after you eat is gonna be huge here. And again, just to remind you, we're talking about this because when we have greater glycemic variability, we have a higher risk of just about every disease out there. Plus, we accelerate our aging process, plus, we have a harder time with weight management. All of these strategies can be employed by just about anybody. You do not have to prick your fingers or get a continuous glucose monitor. You certainly can geek out on that if you want to. It's something that I do with the finger pricks every once in a while if I want to test things out, but try these strategies. I bet you'll feel better. If you just employ half of these strategies for a couple weeks, I bet that you will see changes in your energy, in your cravings in your hunger. Let's go through them again really quickly before we jump off. Don't eat carbs by themselves, right? Add fiber or fat or protein or all of the above. Eat your foods in the ideal order. Veggie first, then protein, then fat, then starch, then sugar. Instead of having those sugary snacks as a kind of midday in between meals thing, tack them on the end of a meal eat your carbs cool instead of hot, don't have sugar at breakfast, start your meal with veggies, watch your portions, don't drink your sugar, try a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and a tall glass of water before your meals, and get active for about 10 minutes after you eat. I'm going to link um, the glucose goddess and her book and Chris Cresser. I don't know if I can link Chris Cresser, but I'll put his name in the show notes because he's a good he's a good resource for these topics. All right, everybody, have an amazing day. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed it, make sure to take a few seconds to leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening. It not only supports the show in a huge way, but it also automatically enters you into our weekly product giveaway. For more tools, tips, and strategies on creating change, check out my first book, Chasing Cupcakes, and follow me on Instagram at Elizabeth Benton. Remember, every choice is a chance, and I'll see you next time.